It may be strange to the world, indeed it is strange to the world, but aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus? If you're here this morning, before we even look to God's word, before we continue any further in our service, if you're here this morning and you don't understand why you need the blood of Jesus, then we would want you to understand that you cannot have a right relationship with a holy God because of your sin, you're separated from him, and it is only through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus that you can be reconciled to this God and have a relationship with him. So if you're here this morning and this is strange to you, the songs are strange to you, the word of God being preached may seem strange to you, but there's a turning in your heart and in your soul and an awareness that there's something missing in your life, then we would beg you to come and talk to one of us so that we can share with you about Jesus and how he gave his life so that you might be redeemed. This morning we'll be looking in 1 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 8 down through verse 13 as we continue really what is the the third in the three-part series that's really heavy for the church giving instruction to God's church about how things are to be ordered and designed in terms of the church's leadership, government, structure, oversight, service. And so this morning, we come to the text that specifically mentions the role and the office of deacons within Christ church. We have three men who will be ordained into our deacon body this morning. Ordination just means that the church has recognized their service, their giftedness. They have set them apart from others within the church in giving them an office that should be held among the body of Christ here at First Baptist Covington. And we've recognized that and and we will affirm that this morning. There's nothing special that we do in ordination The laying on of hands and praying that you will see for these men at the end of our service doesn't confer any kind of magical power more than anything. It's it's asking and begging God's grace to be in the lives of these men as they lead and serve in his church. And so that's all that ordination means, that we are recognizing that these men have been set apart by the church for a specific office and service within his church. If you would stand as we read God's word together this morning. Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, verse 8, deacons likewise, remember he's just given all of the qualifications for pastors and elders in the previous verses, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves 
and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, would you give us grace to hear and to heed your word this morning? Would you once again cause the eyes of our hearts to be focused on the truth of your word? Would you take experience and would you take precedent and tradition and would you take our opinion and would you cast them away? And would you allow us to just humble ourselves and sit beneath your word? May it wash over us this morning. Lord, I pray specifically for our deacon body here at First Baptist Covington and even more specifically for these three who will be set apart this morning that you would remind them from this text of their role of the character that they must have, of the duties that they must fulfill. And we entrust these men to you. We entrust all of our men to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You go to the eye doctor and they do that funny little thing, you know, one or two, one or two, one or two. And then they switch and they do it again. One or two, two or one, you know. After about 10 times, you're like, I'm just confused now. I'm not sure what this does. Apparently it does something, right? As they go throughout the progression and flip from one to the other, the first one may be more clear, the second one may be more clear, but they're able to begin to pare down from their perspective. And as your eyes begin to focus and adjust to the different things that you see in front of you, then you find as that test goes on, your eyes are are able to adjust and, and you're able to see more clearly. At first, when they begin flipping, you're still adjusting to the little things in front of your eyes. But as you continue on, your eyes begin to adjust and begin to focus even more. They may do the test where everything's blurry and then they have the little computerized machine that, that kind of adjusts it and, and you're allowed to, to tell them when it's clear. Your eyes can focus on those things. I think often that's the way that scripture works. Much like a microscope, much like the eye doctor. We see things once, we see it twice, we flip them around again, and the more we focus, the more we begin to see clearly. And often it takes the contrast, the putting side by side of texts like the last two weeks, Specifically last week's when we look at the first seven verses that deal with the role and the qualifications and the character and the functions of those who are overseers or pastors or elders. We cannot understand the role of a deacon without understanding the role of a pastor or an elder. And we cannot really understand the role and the character of a pastor or an elder without seeing how Paul has written to the deacons that they should be acting in Christ's church. And so these things go hand in hand. And the more we look at them and the more, as I've prayed, that we would, we would hold our tradition and our experience and our opinion aside and we would simply focus on God's word, the more clearly we will see what God has designed for us in his church. And so this morning as we come to our text, we remember that Paul is following the discussion of overseers, elders, pastors. I refer to last week's sermon, I think those words are used interchangeably, but he he moves now to discuss the role of the deacon. And he uses the word likewise. So he's giving the instruction for them and the first thing that we see is the, the office of deacon. He's already said in verse 1 of chapter 3 that those who are aspiring to the office of overseer, 
That there is, there is a role, there is a duty, there is an office that is to be held within Christ's church. And won't take us back through our history lesson from last week, but especially the Baptist faith and message in all of its iterations from 1925 to 1963 to the year 2000 throughout Baptist history, but even in our Southern Baptist Convention and our churches and with our statement of faith, we have continued to refer to the fact that there are only two offices in the church, that of pastor or elder and that of deacon. And that's it. We can call people names within the church. We can set structures up within the church. The Bible doesn't necessarily prohibit that unless we're doing something that goes against God's word. But there's no committees in the New Testament. There's no committee chair people in the New Testament. There's no treasurers. There's no trustees. None of those things are mentioned in the New Testament. It's not necessarily wrong for us to have them, but there's only two offices mentioned. The role of pastor elder and the role of deacon. If you just looked over, and I won't have you turn there this morning, but if you look to Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, he addresses right there at the very beginning that this letter is coming to the church at Philippi, to the deacons and the saints who are there. This office, this role that specific people are called to within the church. And so we see from very verse one, right in these first few words, that, that he's linking these two offices There's a sense in which before we go any further, Paul is saying all of the things, or at least most of the things that I've said about elders are also going to be true of deacons. Deacons likewise, and he's going to spend the next six verses talking about their character more than anything else. The quality of their life, their godliness, their holiness, their yearning for the Lord, their spirituality. And so the second thing that we see is the character of the deacon the character of the deacon. And many of these things will either verbatim be the same qualifications that were mentioned for pastors and elders, or at least very similar. There's a sense in which the two can simply be interchangeable. The things that he gives the elders are true of deacons. The things that he gives the deacons are true of elders, except for just a couple, specifically relating to the function or the responsibilities that these men have. But the first thing that he says is that they should be dignified that they should be dignified. You know what that word means in the uh, original language? It means dignified. <laughs> That's what it means. These, these men should be upstanding. They should be outstanding. They should be dignified. They should not be rude. They should not be inhospitable. They should not lack compassion. There should be a for lack of a better term, a professionalism. I don't think that has anything to do with their dress or their job, but men who care about Christ's church, they care about their own lives and their families and their stewardship of all of the things that God has given them. They are dignified men. They're not double-tongued. They're not double-tongued. Now, we could look back up to the first few verses and say, well, it doesn't really say that about elders. Does that mean elders and pastors can be double-tongued? Well, of course not. Of course not. But specifically here, it's just using another qualification, another characteristic of that that deacons should have in their lives. They shouldn't be men who speak out of both sides of their mouth. They shouldn't be men who will say one thing to one group of people and something else to another group of people. They shouldn't be men who gossip. 
They shouldn't be men who support one initiative within the church and, and then when another group comes along that needs their help, they support them. They should be honest. They should speak the truth. They should be kind and compassionate in their speech, always forthcoming. They should not be double-tongued. They should not be slanderers. They should not speak rudely. They should be careful with their lips. They should not be addicted to much wine. This is one of those expressions like, um, does this mean they can be addicted to a little wine? No, of course not. Again, this is a point that's already been made about elders. They can't be drunkards. They can't struggle with addiction. And if they, if they are, if they do, if they begin to, then this is something that should cause them to be removed or to take a season away from the office and the role that Christ has given in his church. They should not be greedy for dishonest gain. Similar to the pastors. The deacons, I believe, were those that assisted the pastors and the elders in the New Testament church. And one of the things that they probably assisted with was the money and the finances and the offerings. It wasn't that the deacons were being paid per se like those who were preaching and teaching, but there was something in it for them because they had positions of service and leadership within Christ church. And he says, these men should not be greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. We described this word mystery over the last couple of weeks as this body of truth that, that we believe has been concealed or hidden, but that God is now revealed. God is now declared. This gospel that we hold dear is something that deacons should hold fast to. Now, it's at this point that we should just pause and say all of the stress and all of the burden and all of the weight that we put last week on pastors and elders being the ones who give spiritual leadership and oversight and the preaching and the teaching and the consideration of doctrine within Christ church can often cause people to say, well, deacons are just supposed to be servants. As if deacons are not supposed to also be spiritual men. And right here, Paul makes very clear they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must be godly men. They must be men who know and understand and cling to the gospel. They must love the gospel. They must love the word of God. They must love and be devoted to the doctrines of Christ's church. When our church in Kentucky began going through some changes, we were calling on some brothers to come alongside me to be elders and pastors within the church. I'll never forget one of the meetings that we were having as we slowly talked through and talked through and prayed through this. And one of, one of the, the best and godliest men in our church who was a deacon, and he, he was just a servant. He was just one of those guys that was just always at the church, always doing things, but he never wanted really a position of, of, of leadership. He was not a teacher. He didn't want to be a teacher. He just served behind the scenes constantly. And I'll never forget, he raised his hand and he said, so if there's a difference in the function of elders and pastors and they'll be the ones that are supposed to be giving spiritual leadership and oversight to the church, then does that mean that I can't pray with people anymore? And I just thought, no, nothing could be further from the truth, right? 
The, the deacons are still supposed to be spiritual people when you look back in the book of Acts, when we'll look to in just a minute, in, the, in Acts chapter 6, when we see the, the first, I believe, the, the, the rising of the deacons to come alongside the apostles in the leadership of Christ church, and they're dealing with the widows and the distribution of the bread. These are spiritual men. These are men who are selected to be among the, the apostles, the leaders of Christ church, and they're men who will go on to be evangelists. They, they will be teachers. It doesn't mean that they cannot have the gift of teaching. They're godly men who hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They're tested. And they test themselves out as blameless. Some churches will require their deacons to go through a period of apprenticeship first. I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea. They get it from a verse like this. Let them be tested first and let them prove themselves to be blameless. Listen, friends, the best way for churches to elect deacons is to see the guys who are already doing it, even though they don't have a title. Just, just look and see the men who are serving in Christ church because that's what deacon means. Oh, this guy's serving. This guy's here early. This guy always shows up. This guy's always willing to do this. This guy's helpful. This guy's caring for people. There you have them. They, they're testing themselves out and they're proving themselves to be blameless. They should be the husband of one wife. A one woman man. I already gave my understanding of this last week as it related to pastors and elders, but I simply think that this means they're faithful to their wives. I do not believe that it doesn't mean they can never have been divorced, but that the wife that they now have, they're faithful to them. They love them. They have a singular eye for this woman and they love her as Christ loves the church. They're serving her and they're managing their household well. Now what's interesting is that he uses this expression in this passage about deacons, but he doesn't go on to say the same thing that he does in the first passage about how if they're managing their household well, they will also be managing Christ's church well. It seems that Paul has a distinction here for Timothy, that the pastors and elders and deacons should have both of these things as true of their lives, but the management and the administration, the oversight and the leadership of the church remains with the pastors and the elders. He doesn't go on to say that that's a function of the deacons. And yet their lives should embody that their household is kept in order, that their marriage is strong, that their children, like the children of the elders, are those that are submissive. It doesn't mean that their children necessarily have to be believers, but it means that they must be kept in line and that they must manage their household well. This is the character of a deacon. What is the responsibility of a deacon? <clears throat> As listed here in verses 8 through 13. You say, Pastor, you forgot to change your slides and tell us what verses the responsibilities of the deacons are found in here in this passage. No, I didn't. Because they ain't there. Isn't it interesting? There's nothing in this text. The reality is there's very little in all of the New Testament that describes the responsibilities of the deacons. Now, the first place that we do go is we go back to Acts chapter 6, when the, when the church is flourishing, the apostles are preaching, and there begins to be a problem. 
those Greek-speaking widows that were in the church, they felt like they were being neglected in the daily distribution of the bread. They were caring for the members of the church. They were meeting their physical needs, and there was a problem. They couldn't manage it all. And so the apostles said, we need to elect from among ourselves men of good reputation. They're dignified. They have a strong standing among Christ's church, and they can help us. But, but as for us, we must devote ourselves, the apostles said, to prayer and to the ministry of the word, to the preaching, the teaching, and the counsel of God's word among the body. They didn't have the time or the bandwidth or the people to do all of the things that needed to be done within the church. And so the church elected men to come alongside the apostles to oversee the meeting of the provisional needs and physical needs in the early church. So we know from the very beginning, if in fact Acts 6 is referring to deacons, and I believe it is, even though there's no mention of the word or the role there in Acts 6, then we find from the very beginning the deacons were the men who came alongside the apostles and met the physical needs of the church. They served Christ's church. The word diakonoi as it's used in the New Testament literally is translated a table waiter. It doesn't mean that they're slaves to the church. It doesn't mean that they just sit and wait on people hand and foot in our modern day understanding of a table waiter. But it does mean in all of its usages in the New Testament, it does mean someone who's a servant. It's translated in the New Testament often simply as that, a servant, one who serves, one who serves Christ's church. And there are hardly any other places in the New Testament that reference what the deacons actually did in the New Testament. And so we take Acts 6, we take 1 Timothy 3, and the understanding of what pastors are to do and elders are to do, and we try to set it up, and we can probably come up with some list of physical things that deacons have done throughout the history of the church in Christ church. They first were responsible for widow and for member care. They helped in making sure that the needs of the people of the church were met. They were helpful in logistics. We know that from the beginning. They were helpful in setup. They were the original buildings and grounds and maintenance crews of the church. They were the guys that, that cared for the church. They, they oversaw the security of the church throughout the New Testament, throughout the, the rest of church history. As we see, especially in Baptist churches, they're the ones that are responsible for being the ushers, being the greeters, being the setup people, caring for the needs of the church. They're the ones that are over the legal matters of the church, the finances of the church, the benevolence care of the church. They assist the pastoral callings of those who are set apart as pastors or elders within the church by helping in any of these things. And we could have added 30 other things that the New Testament doesn't mention, but it's entirely right for deacons to do within Christ's church. All of these things can be responsibilities that deacons carry out. And friends, here, here is where I just love to pause and to celebrate. You look at all of these things, and our deacons do all of these things. And the burden that is lifted off of my shoulders and our pastors because we have 25 men who you have elected to do all of these things is immeasurable. The week in and week out, showing up early, 
and unlocking the buildings and checking the thermostats and driving around the golf carts and opening up the doors and taking up the offering and overseeing the ordinances and overseeing the baptismal robes and the pool being filled and making sure that the heater's on so that we don't freeze people making sure that there's towels that are ready, making sure that all of these things are set up for Sunday mornings, taking up the offering and ushering people in and ushering people out and providing for the security of the church and meeting week in and week out, whether they're serving on committees or simply serving as deacons to help oversee the finances of the church and the benevolent care of the church and the needs of the church. They visit the nursing home, they visit the hospitals, they visit people who are in needs. They're helping oversee the entire family ministry plan of the church. This is what deacons are supposed to do. And we've got some fantastic men who do it. And they do it week in and they do it week out. They do it whether they're a, quote, active deacon or an inactive deacon. They do it whether they've got a title or not. They just serve Christ church. And friends, we couldn't do what we do as pastors. I couldn't do what I do without deacons serving Christ church. I'm so thankful for these men. I'm so thankful that even in the six years that I've been here, I've seen even more of this servant-oriented role and mindset taken on by our deacons. Just tell us what we can do. And they show up and they're ready to do it. Finally, I want you to see in this text the fruit of the deacon. The fruit of a deacon. Look at the very end of this passage. Verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain two things. They gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I think that this implies two things. It does indeed imply that they not only have been seen as dignified, but they will continue to be viewed as reputable, honest, holy, godly servants within Christ church. They gain a good standing. People, when they hear me talk about these passages, they wrongly think that I believe pastors are on some plane above everyone else spiritually and the deacons are just to be lowly, menial servants. That's not at all what I think that this text implies. In fact, I think that the deacons should be held in honor. I think that they should be held up. They're the only other office that's mentioned in serving Christ's church in the New Testament. And they should have a a good standing among the people of God. The people of Christ church should look to these men and should say, that's a deacon. That's my deacon. These are the men who we've called and set apart to serve in this role. And and it's cyclical, right? There's one thing that results in another and it goes back and forth. As that happens and as they serve Christ church, then they continue to gain, again, almost like Paul is using bookends here, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And he says, if they're serving well, then they'll have great confidence in that faith. If a man of Christ is serving Christ church as a deacon in Christ church, then the only thing that should happen to his spiritual life is that it should grow. It should grow and the more he serves, the more he sees Christ church and its needs, the more he learns about God's word, the more he sits beneath God's word, the more that that man should be closer to Jesus and should hold his faith even with greater, more clear conscience. And he's got great confidence that his faith is real, that it's unshakable. And that faith is then carried out into the lives of others. It's an example in the lives of others. They are the men who can reference and speak of their faith. Now you'll notice that there's one verse there right in the middle that I missed. 
And so before we get to it, I want to set up, um, well, first, before we, before we go any further, I want to give you four just images that um, I've given to the deacons every year that I talk to them that I think encompass. Uh, these are just pictures. They're not going to be on the slides. But the very first year that I was ever here, I gave these to the men. And I think that they're good helpers for us. I think that deacons should be table waiters. They should be the servants of the church. I think that deacons should be shock absorbers. I'm borrowing this language from a journal article that I read about the ministry of the deacons. But the whole role of a deacon is to cushion and to soften the blows that can come to pastoral ministry. Not necessarily the complaints, but just the workload, the burden. They help bear that shock and they, they carry it out within the church. Third, they're, they're catalysts. So they see the mission and the vision and the direction of the church that the pastors and the elders are setting for the church and the deacons are the ones that are to come alongside and say, how can we make that go? How can we spur that on? We are to be the catalyst that drives this engine forward in the church. And fourth, as Charles Spurgeon would say, the deacons are to be the hunting dogs. The hunting dogs. I've told him this, Spurgeon would often say, he didn't necessarily use it in reference to the deacon ministry, but he said that there were men in his church that he used as hunting dogs, meaning that on Sundays, they always had their ears up and their, uh, their eyes open to birds of the flock that were wounded. And then they would report those things back and they would help meet the needs. That's, that's the role of a deacon as they're among Christ's body, to know of needs, to listen to those who are hurting, and either to be able to meet that need or to bring it back to the rest of the deacon body or to bring it to the pastors and say, hey, we've got some birds who are hurting. We've got a family who's in need. Let us figure out how we can meet that need. That's who our deacons should be. That's who so many of our deacons are. Now, I wanna overview where we've been the last few weeks. One point at a time. Two weeks ago, we said that only men should serve as pastors and elders. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through verse 15, that women are not to be in a function of teaching or exercising authority over the men of the church. He moves directly into chapter 3, where he begins outlining the roles of pastors and elders. And I argued last week that churches had, number two, multiple pastors and elders to give oversight and spiritual leadership to the church to manage these men leading in a plurality are the ones that are to be carrying out the ministry of Christ Church. We can move to number two, that next slide, so they can write it down. They're the ones who are devoted to prayer. They're the ones who are devoted to the ministry of the word. Doesn't mean deacons can't pray. Doesn't mean deacons can't be Sunday school teachers. But the primary calling of these pastors is to preach and to teach, to be the ones who are leading the church in prayer, spiritual leadership, oversight. Third, churches had a primary teacher, preacher among the other pastors and elders. And I think that we can see this, and we'll see this in a couple of weeks in 1 Timothy chapter 5, when Paul tells Timothy that the one who rules well and labors in preaching and teaching is worthy of double honor. There were multiple, multiple plural pastors and elders, and yet it seems that there was a central, if you want to use the term senior pastor, the New Testament doesn't, but there was, there was one who had been designated as the lead, 
the one that the church would look to above the other elders as the primary voice, the preacher and teacher. Fourth, the churches had, I believe in light of that very verse as well, other pastors and elders who were not paid or supported by the church. Number one, the New Testament church couldn't have supported so many elders. And number two, it's clear that there were some who were supported because of their role in preaching and teaching and other elders who were not financially supported by the church. So there is at least an implicit case that can be made from the New Testament that the church of the New Testament had multiple pastors and elders, some of whom were not paid in the early days of the earliest church. Now the fifth point, it's very possible that the New Testament churches had female deacons. And it's like I preached three weeks ago about why women can be pastors, and then I preach about pastors and elders, and then I preach about deacons. It's like, you save this last controversial point. Like, if there's anything we're going to get mad at you about, it's this. And you save it for the very end here. It's very possible, very possible that New Testament churches had female deacons. And I'll give you the reason that I think that it's possible and that I tend to believe that they probably did and that it wouldn't be out of line for New Testament churches and Baptist churches to have female deacons. The first is 1 Timothy 3.11. You'll notice that the ESV translation that I read translates the text, their wives. I think that's a bad translation. The word there is not in the New Testament. There's only one word that's mentioned there, and it's the word gunekos, which could be translated wives, or it could simply be translated women. Right there in the middle of the text, he talks about elders, he talks about deacons likewise, and then right there in the middle he says, women likewise. There's been debate for 2,000 years about whether he's describing the wives of the deacons or whether he's describing female deacons. And we can look to this text and go, no, 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 he's just talking about their wives because gunekos can mean wives. It can mean wives. But he could have also said wives and used a different word. And he could have said their wives very clearly, but he didn't. He didn't use the word their. And then when we turn to Romans 16.1, we find Phoebe being mentioned as a deacon, as a servant. And in the context of the congregation and the church and her role as a servant, I believe that Romans 16.1 seems to be making clear that she had some kind of office. Third, The role of a deacon is a service role. And so it's not a role to teach and exercise authority over men. And so women could have maintained this role. But it is exactly this third point why most Baptist churches don't have deacons. And why I think we ultimately don't have deacons. And in our current structure couldn't have deacons. Because very often the deacons still are providing some kind of authority over the church. And so if the deacons are set up in that way in any church, then women can't have that role. If the role of a deacon is understood simply to be a servant within Christ's church, then it's very possible that we are falling back in line with the New Testament pattern. Does that mean that I'm going to begin arguing for women deacons here? No, because the reality is we got a lot of them anyway. You look at the New Testament church and you look at the Baptist church in history and you look at the last 50 to 100 years, especially in North American context, who are the people who are doing the vast majority of the work and service within the church? It is the women. It is the women. 
And I'm thankful that just like we can have men who have a title of deacon and serve Christ Church, there are just as many people who don't have any title at all and serve Christ Church. And of that number, there are a large majority of women in our church here at First Baptist who are just serving the Lord week in, week out in all of the different roles and responsibilities that God would give them within the church. And I'm thankful for that. It's possible, perhaps, that in many churches, some of which I know, they can call them deaconesses, and that doesn't get anybody hot and bothered. It doesn't get anybody messed up because the church understands the role of pastors and they understand the role of, of deacons, and it doesn't matter whether they're men or whether they're women. In most current structures, it can't be that way. And it's something that we just have to continue to think and pray through as God's church. 